This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Blood Red podcast. I'm Matt Addison and I'm joined for this episode, an Italian football special by the new editor of Get Italian Football News, Kaus Pandi. We're going to have a chat about all things Italian football, linking them back as ever to Liverpool and there's plenty of topics for us to get stuck into. Firstly though, Kaus, congratulations on the new role and thanks so much for taking the time to, to join us. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much. I mean, <laughs> I've been sort of covering Italian football for about not too many years, but yeah, it's 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 a great role to be in and yeah, just cover every single big club in Italian football. So yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem at all. As I say, plenty of things for us to, to get stuck into across the show. But I think it, it makes sense to start really with a player who Liverpool fans will know well. There's still plenty of interest from a lot of, of Red supporters. And it's a player who could well be moving back to Syria. Felipe Coutinho, the man that I'm talking about. We know that, that Barcelona want to, to get rid of him. Do you think Italy is a realistic destination for him this summer? Um it's pretty complicated in that sense because I think I'll probably use the word complicated quite a lot of times because that's what the situation is in Syria in terms of the whole finances and stuff. Because it was recently reported that uh, Milan were interested in a potential swap deal involving Coutinho and Alessio Romagnoli. So it just shows that clubs in Italy may not be doing too many trade cash deals. And the thing with Philippe Coutinho right now is that Barcelona are in a way, reluctant to um, do loan deals again with them because they've tried that already. Um, so they just want a permanent solution once again. And if I think if Coutinho plays about 10 games more, Liverpool will be due about £20 million more. And we know Barcelona essentially can't afford that right now. And um, they are pretty short of cash. We all know that. So I think a loan deal can't really happen with uh, with this whole scenario. And Milan, uh, a club who are pretty much keen on getting rid of Romagnoli because his contract runs out next summer. There's been no real indication of the fact that he'll extend his contract. Mino Reola is um, asking for a pretty hefty wage in, in his next contract, which Milan are not willing to pay. And they're just focused on um, extending from Kessie's uh, contract which is expected to happen soon. So, as far as Coutinho coming to Milan or to Syria is concerned, it's a bit unlikely and he earns quite a lot at Barcelona, of course. And if a loan deal is to happen, um, Barcelona will make sure that the buying club um, pays a vast majority of those wages, which can't essentially happen in Italy, especially with Milan, who have shown that they're not too insistent on um, paying over the odds in terms of wages for clubs. We saw they've let go of Gigio Donnarumma and Hakan Chalanovi already. So, um, as I said, it's complicated. If he wants to come to Milan, it's probably pretty unlikely and Inter already got Chalanovi in. But Milan are looking at a number 10, looking to fill that number 10 position. They're looking at a host of players, Nikola Vlasic, who was at Everton, of course, and that's probably a deal which can happen. But yeah, Coutinho looks unlikely as of now. Would he be a player, do you think, in Italy that would excite people? Would it would it be a big signing to, to take someone off Barcelona or does the, the finances and, and all of that sort of thing just sort of make it, you know, one of those that if it did happen, it would just be just be a, a normal transfer? 
I think the way things have gone for him over the last, let's say, two or three years, it might just be a normal transfer now because uh, we've got um, attacking midfielders, of central midfielders there who essentially lit up Serie A over the last two or three seasons. We've got Luis Alberto there who arguably is not really a number 10, but we've got Sergei Milinkovic-Savic who, again, is not a number 10, but these are those midfield players who can create goals, who can score goals and still provide a lot of spark in the heart of the park. And we've got Chalanoglu there who, I mean, he was a bit of a mystery to many, especially the Milan fans who um, considered him to be a bit of an enigma in a way, where if he plays, he'll, he'll probably win you the game. But when he's not on form, he'll be a pretty frustrating player. So we've got a host of players in Serie A who are of the Coutinho ilk. And if he comes to Serie A by any chance, um, his, let's say, I mean, the style of play that he has, he'll probably suit the way Serie A plays. It's, it's physical, a bit not as frenetic as the Premier League, but maybe as physical as the Premier League. So it's a bit strange because his stock has clearly reduced. He, I think, couldn't make more than 20 appearances for Barcelona last season. So, yeah, we've got, at this point, a lot of Serie A players who, in the midfield, who boast of a better record of the last two seasons than Coutinho. We've sort of spoken a little bit about the, the finances at, at Milan. Is it is it the same at, at Inter and, and Juve as well? Are, are they fairly tight for, for money as well this summer? Yeah, I would say Inter are probably more tight for finances because Juve had a 400 million cash injection recently, even though they sort of made a loss um, in the 2020-21 season. Inter uh, pretty recently had a new uh, sponsorship deal with Socios, a blockchain technology company which um, deals with fan tokens, essentially fan Bitcoin, uh, which is a new system for clubs that uh, many clubs are sort of adopting across the world. But their new kit deal is essentially, I think, uh, about, I think, 20 million less than their previous kit deal. But they are pretty much just hoping that their another kit deal with Lenovo uh, helps them uh, make up for the cash that they lose with ho- with the whole kit situation. And Inter can't really afford to sign players on a permanent basis this summer. They are just relying on loan deals with the obligation to buy next summer or maybe in 2023, which is probably what's going to happen with Nahita Nandes, who is at Cagliari Leeds. United have been linked with him and stuff. So I think for Inter, it's going to be much more tougher than Juve. Um, Juve, of course, have troubles of their own. They had a big transition period, which they couldn't really manage too well. They still had dead wood in the side that they still want to get rid of. There's players who can be moved on. One of them can, of course, be Cristiano Ronaldo, but um, there's uncertainty about too many players there. So I would say they are a bit more stable than Inter are, but it's not great anyway. And in terms of sort of transfers and, and that sort of thing, is there an opportunity for, say, English clubs who, who have a bit of money to, to take some of the players from Inter and, and Juve? Or is it a case that they are able to, to keep what they have, they, they just can't add to it? Uh, for Inter, I think they've uh, they just had Ashraf Hakimi to let go. Otherwise, I don't think they're going to let go any major player. I mean, we've seen uh, Romelu Lukaku getting linked to Chelsea and Manchester City, but that's not going to happen. We've had Nicolo Varela for some reason getting linked to Liverpool and Man United, of course. 
which was a bit silly because he's probably going to sign a new contract. So Inter are going to hold on to their best players. They, as I said, they have a bigger financial issue than uh, you. They have Javier Zanetti pretty spoke about it openly, saying that they have, uh, quote unquote, they said that he said that they've got serious financial issues and we don't really know how serious those issues are because they those are never made public. But the indications are that because of those issues, Inter let Hakimi go, but they're just going to hold on to what they have and just rely on loan deals. And as far as Juve are concerned, the only major departure is probably going to be Cristiano Ronaldo. If we don't consider Aaron Ramsey and Alexandro major departures anyway, because um, they are players who Juve will probably be keen on letting go if the right offers come in, by the way. Um, and there's still uncertainty about Ronaldo's future. Um, Douglas Costa has left. Uh, there's still doubts about Federico Bernadeschi's future. Yeah, I mean, there's not too many players that can leave there, but, you know, it's about clubs coming there and meeting the price so that uh, those clubs, which aren't financially well, not doing too well right now, just so they can get those finances and make some permanent deals. I was going to ask you about Nicolo Borelli. We might as well do that now, given that you've mentioned him. I mean, he's been linked with with Liverpool a lot. It doesn't seem like an obvious one to, to me. And you kind of said that yourself. It seems a bit unlikely. Where do you think these rumours have, have come from? And do you think there's any truth in them at all? No, I think it was probably planted by his agent because um, especially for, not just for Barella, uh, for Alessandro Bastoni as well. There was a period about two, three months ago where he was being linked with Liverpool and some other clubs, but he just ended up signing a new contract anyway. I mean, that's, I don't think that's been confirmed yet, but everything's just been agreed. And the same thing's been being done with uh, Nicolo Barella, where um, his agent's just been using the interest from other clubs, from Premier League clubs, just to make sure that Inter meet the requirements for a new contract, so unless something unusual happens or um, there's a big U-turn or anything. Um, people are expecting Barella to sign a new contract and, and stay there in the long term. Let's move on a, a little bit then to, to Juventus. We've touched a little bit on Cristiano Ronaldo. It wasn't their best season last season. They ended up finishing fourth, I suppose, a little bit like Liverpool. It was a bit of a season that they probably didn't expect. But would you expect them to, to be back at their peak again next season? Are they in a position where they could go back and, and become you know, Serie A title contenders and, and Champions League contenders as well? I mean, possibly, because last season, I mean, Juve have had a strange last two years because they had appointed Maurizio Sarri, who is obviously a long-term manager who works on a long-term project. And he won the Serie A. Um, and despite that, and despite knowing that Sarri was a long-term manager, they ended up sacking him within one season. And then they hoped that a um, very new manager in Andrea Pilo, who hadn't even coached a single game for the UVA under-23 side, would take them to the top when even he was the long-term appointment and they sacked them in a season anyway. So it's been a bit of a mess for them. And with Max Allegri, they've got this, uh, this assurance that um, no matter what resources they have in the club, um, it's a bit like Carlo Ancelotti himself, where you give him the resources, whatever they are, he'll make sure that he gets the best out of them without preaching a system which is overly complicated, which Sari can Sari can do and which Andrea Pelo was trying. So I think it will be much more easier for Juve under Allegri 
but yeah, it's as I said before, it's a big transition period for them. Um, in Syria, I sort of do expect them to give a bit of a challenge. Uh, I mean, by a bit of a, I mean, it's pretty uncertain uh, in terms of who's going to win the league next season. Like, it's a transition period for so many clubs there. You've got Roma in transition, you've got Napoli in transition, Inter in transition, and Atlanta are probably the only club who have stayed stable over the summer. So, yeah, I think you will probably be there in the top four. But as far as Champions League is concerned, I don't really think they've got the squad to compete seriously for the Champions League. As in, there are better clubs out there who can probably be better than them in a European level. And it's probably a season too far for them, uh, the Champions League. Yeah, certainly something to, to watch out for. I mean, let's move on to, to some transfer stuff as well then. Obviously, sticking with Juventus, Federico Chiesa is one that, another one that has been linked with Liverpool, as is so often the case after a, a good Euros. Those links resurface again. Is £80 million a fair price tag, do you think, for him? And will Juventus have any intentions of, of letting him leave this summer? Well, I think Juventus won't really want to let him go because... The, the transfer that took place from Fiorentina to Juventus was a bit complicated. I, I use the word complicated once again, by the way. Well, I mean, it was a two-year loan deal where um, Juventus had to pay a total of $10 million across those two years. So it was a scattered payment, essentially. And at the end of that, or even in the middle of that, on the basis of certain conditions, if those conditions were met, Juve would sign him for about $40 million. So about 40 million euros. So it was a, a total of 50 million transfer. So Juventus would not want to um, waste the opportunity of signing a player like that on a, let's say, a pretty cheap fee, considering that he did pretty well for Juventus last season. Uh, he was probably one of their best players and he's just won the Euros. He's now considered to be a global star. So I think, again, the stuff that came out about the 80 million stuff, I think. There might be truth in it, might just have been the fact that Chiesa has become such a prominent player over the last, um, let's say, 14 months or 15 months that clubs are bound to be keeping an eye on him because it's pretty normal if if Erling Haaland um, goes out there and scores about 30 goals a season, all the big clubs will be looking at him. So it's a bit like that, I think. And there's, it's pretty uncertain. I mean, sorry, it's, it's pretty chances of Juventus letting him go are next to nothing um, because uh, Kiesa and Dejan Kulusevski are considered to be parts um, of their future and it's said that Max Allegri considers them to be key parts of his system which and his system um, may not favour Cristiano Ronaldo. It's said that um, he may not want Ronaldo in his team. Um, it will probably be a, be about Paulo Dybala, Chiesa and Kulishevsky and just creating this new spine of the team. So it's very, very unlikely that Chiesa departs this summer. Special. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I think another interesting player, and again with Liverpool links, is, is Luis Alberto. Obviously played for, for Liverpool for a bit, didn't really see the, the best of him, but it seems like he's really found his, his feet, obviously with, with Lazio. Liverpool have a 20% sell-on clause inserted into to that deal, so they're watching very closely. How likely do you think it is that, that he moves on this summer? Where might he go if he does move, and, and how much might that be for? Um, it said that Lazio want a fee of at least 40 million euros. And since Liverpool have got that 
um, sell-on clause of about 20 million. Um, it won't be possible for, for potentially buying clubs uh, to have swap deals happen in this case because Liverpool has, have got a sell-on clause. So having a swap deal take place can't really happen. And a loan deal isn't what Lazio want because he's, what, 29 and he's got a contract till 2025. So it just makes the situation a lot more tougher than people think. Uh, and it said that Luis Alberto recently purchased a new house in, in the middle of Rome, um, which again shows that he might just want to stay because what happened is that he didn't attend Lazio training for about three days. He came, he ended up at the training ground on the fourth day. Um, and then Lazio said that they'll uh, put on a heavy fine on him. But Lazio recently had a friendly. He scored a hat-trick against the local side. And then it was reported that he seems now seems to be happy under Mauricio Sarri. So, and the 2025 contract just complicates things further because clubs, especially in Italy, they can't really... Uh, that whole sum to Lazio, who will be insistent on that because, again, the contract's in 2025. And Lazio uh, will want to make sure that they get as much as they want from, from the whole transfer because Liverpool will get a part of it. So there is a chance that he stays, but if an English club, club comes calling, it could be maybe any club because English clubs probably have the most benefit financially at this point, Italian clubs. As I said, can't spend too much on permanent fees and loan loan deals and swap deals can't happen for Luis Alberto. So if there's a chance, he'll probably move abroad. Clubs in Spain are interested. Um, there's been no mention of English interest so far. But yeah, if a transfer takes place, it'll probably be abroad at this point. The suggestion is that Zerdan Shakiri could be the replacement for him at Lazio. Do you think that would be one that, that would suit Lazio? Would that be one that you'd think that, that they might be interested in doing? Yeah, there was a report which came out about uh, three or four days ago which said that um, Lazio did try to make an offer for Zerdan Shakiri, but it was sort of well below uh, Liverpool's asking price. So it shows that Lazio are interested in the player and uh, Lazio are a squad who are, are a club essentially who have been looking for more depth in their squad since the last two years, but they've constantly failed to do that for a variety of reasons. They failed to do that last summer, and if um, they get a handsome fee uh, from Luis Alberto's exit, and the fee, as I said, will be pretty handsome if he does leave on a permanent on a permanent basis, they'll probably have the funds to uh, bring Shakiri uh, to the Stadio Olympico. And, and I do think that he's the sort of player who can thrive in Syria. I know when he was at Inter, didn't go down too well with uh, with the club, but he's now at a stage where um, uh, where he's not really getting too much first-team football at Anfield anyway. And he's now, what, towards the, um, towards the age of 30, he's reaching that point. And he'll probably want this last big contract of his career. And Lazio are a club who might just suit him, considering that um, Andreas Pereira um, may not return from Man United. He had that loan spell where he wasn't really a regular. But yeah, it could be a deal which might happen because Lazio, as I said, are interested in it. But it's about Luis Alberto's exit and whether Liverpool may want 
uh, another sort of deal to happen, whether they may want a loan deal to happen or um, a bit like the KSR deal that I talked about, where a two-year loan deal and then lets you pay a permanent fee on the basis of um, some requirements that the deal demands. Yeah, certainly something to watch out for over the next few weeks. I'm sure Liverpool will be hoping that Luis Alberto does move on, not just for Shakiri then moving, but for that little twenty uh, percent clause as well. Uh, let's pick out a, a couple more players. We're going to have a chat a, a little bit later on about sort of the, the Euros and, and Italian football success there. But just a, a couple more players to pick out before we do that. Mikel Damsgaard is is one, obviously was linked with Liverpool before the Euros. Certainly was linked with Liverpool after the Euros. I suppose his price tag, though, will have gone up a, at least a, a little bit after what he did for Denmark this summer. Yeah, it has, because the Sampdoria president uh, made a public statement um, to a news channel in Italy saying that they'll probably want um, a high fee for him. And by high fees, the post later stated that the high fee was about 35 million euros or uh, something around that. And the thing with Mikkel Domschgaard is that um, even if he hadn't started the Euros, he uh, may have moved on this summer anyway because the likes of Inter, Juventus and Tottenham were looking at him and there's not been any shortage of clubs who've been scouting him constantly. Um, he, he did have a pretty good season. He's shown that he's not just a very good uh, player in terms of the final pass, in terms of the movement. He's also got a very, very good work rate and he's got a very good engine. And when he was playing under Claudio Ranieri last season, who played a pretty conservative style of play, which uh, changed from a back three to a back four and was in a pretty defensive uh, defensive style of play. He worked very, very hard uh, out wide, which shows that he can be a very, very good fit for all sorts of clubs because his skill set is such that, uh, be it a club like Liverpool, be it a club like Tottenham or Inter, Juventus, these are clubs that play different sorts of systems. but. He's the sort of player who's got a very, very wide skill set and he can fit into any of them. But yeah, as I said, um, it's about clubs meeting that asking price that Sampdoria put on him, which has certainly increased um, because before the Euros, it was stated that they would be willing to part ways for about 18 to 20 million euros. But now it's just gone up by about 15 to 17 million euros, which is hardly a surprise considering the talent that he is. Yeah, it certainly doesn't seem like the sensible time to have bought him. I think if uh, Liverpool were interested, they probably would have done it in advance of the Euros. But uh, the last player that I wanted to, to pick out was Pito Zielinski at, at Napoli. Liverpool signed Gini Wijnaldum when they were linked with him. They obviously made the, the right choice there, I think, in terms of, of what he went on to do. But Zielinski as well, he's a, he's a really good player, isn't he? And he's sort of developed a, a lot, I think, over in Italy. Yeah, I love Pietro Zielinski because he's... He's he was probably uh, one of the best players, the one of the best midfielders in Serie A last season. I talked about Coutinho and the players who can contribute to goals for midfield. Zielinski is probably uh, one of those once again who's main, uh, who's not just good enough to play in central midfield. He can also play in attacking midfield, and he's also been used out wide by the Polish national team and by um, all the managers that Napoli have had over the last uh, four or five seasons. Um, and last season was probably his best in a Napoli shirt. He constantly came up with big moments in uh, absolutely vital games for for Napoli. Of course, they they couldn't quite make it to the Champions League because of how things happened in their last game of the season against Hellas Verona. But regardless, he's 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 probably one of the best midfielders in the league. Um, and 
uh, as you said, Liverpool were looking at him before they signed Gino Ronaldo, and he's uh, quite a bit in that end because he's the sort of player who can play through the press. Uh, he's got that very, very good work rate. He's got that possession versatility because we've seen Wijnaldum playing in all sorts of positions, not just for Liverpool, for the Dutch national team where he plays slightly for, for the forward. Zielinski is pretty similar in that regard. He's got a very, very good work rate. Technically, he's a very progressive passer and carries the ball very, very well. Yeah, his, his progression has been quite, quite brilliant. And in a way, he just deserves to play for a Champions League club. And that's not a shot at Napoli. But they were probably one or two points away from that spot. And Zielinski probably deserved to be in the Champions League if no one else in that sport. Yeah, it would have been interesting, I think, to, to see what Jurgen Klopp did with that versatility. If he did sign him, it, it would have been a, a really interesting experiment. I think the time has passed for that, though, for, for Liverpool to be interested. But uh, we'll finish off then with a quick chat about Italy at the Euros. Just a, a couple of questions, really. And the first one, did they really expect to, to win that tournament when they went into it? Was it a bit of a, a surprise to them or, or was it kind of a case of they knew exactly how good they were and they knew that they had one or two players? Federico Chiesa being one of them that made them amongst the, the favourites, really. I mean, the feeling amongst the Italy fans was that Italy are one of the favourites, but they're probably not the favourite for it. Like people were talking about France, what they were talking about England, and some people also talking about Germany and stuff. But people were silently confident that Italy could do well because they had that unbelievable um, clean sheet record and they hadn't lost a game in quite a long time. And um, there was a feeling that there is this core group of players who in that Italy squad who um, fit a system which Roberto Mancini plays and credit to Roberto Mancini who uh, made sure that uh, every single player in that squad um, Played in the sort of role that he played for his club, his club team. Uh, you talk about um, any player in that squad. You took uh, Leonardo Pinazzola caught a lot of eyes, and um, last season he played quite the same role for Roma in that left wing back role, um, playing as that uh, inside left footed wing back, which is which is which is a pretty refreshing sight. And we had Giovanni Di Lorenzo uh, essentially playing as a right-sided centre-back, dropping in as a centre-back and sometimes marauding forward. That's what he does for Napoli. It was just a coming together of uh, so many tactical aspects that Italian football has learned from managers like Maurizio Sarri, from managers like uh, Roberto De Zerbi and um, even Max Allegri, even Reno Gattuso. So people were silently confident, but they were not really considered the favourites. Probably the dark horses. But yeah, as soon as Germany and France went out, their chances just sort of increased and that just swung things in their favour. Yeah, absolutely. And just finally then on Roberto Mancini, you mentioned sort of his management there. How good a manager is he? And do you think he was the sort of decisive thing that, that helped Italy win that Euros? Yeah, I think Mancini is someone who, strangely enough, when he was at Manchester City, there were instances where he sort of fell out with a lot of players, not just Mario Balotelli or Carlos Tevez, but I remember reading somewhere that uh, there was a time when James Milner, when he was at Manchester City, he had sustained a broken rib injury, but Mancini insisted that he plays in the next game and Milner was pretty surprised with that. And there were instances where players weren't too happy with how the management was going on, but this is a manager who's learned a lot of lessons. We saw 
in Italy's game against Wales where he gave some minutes to Salvatore Shirigu because um, he's been there. Um, there were times in previous World Cups in uh, 1990 where he didn't get to play a single minute and he knew how that feels for Shirigu to be there and not have that big moment in his career to boast about for, for maybe his, uh, his, his sons, his grandsons and it's something which defines a player's career and he's just learned from his lessons which have maybe hurt him in the past and um, back in uh, the, uh, the 1992 European Cup final with Sampdoria, um, him and uh, Gianluca Vialli, they were in the Sampdoria side which lost to Barcelona in the Champions League, the European Cup, sorry, against Barcelona at Wembley itself and it was probably a very good feel-good story, probably as good as Gareth Southgate would have been um, of him uh, just exercising all his ghosts for the past and and every single time Italy stepped out on the pitch um, there was this real feeling that they were together not just going off the national anthem um, there was just this feeling that they were all in it together and they were not just doing it for each other and not just for each other's career for Viali and Mancini and uh, what they had been through over the years and Viali especially um, coming through a period where he had cancer, but he still worked with Mancini, um, advising him with um, whatever went on with the national team. And then Mancini brought him on with his setup. So it was a pretty good feel-good story and a coming together of um, so many um, so many stories that, I mean, that many football fans should learn from. Yeah, absolutely. Worthy winners, I think, of the Euros over the course of that tournament. The best team won, I think, in the end for me. But that's all we've got time for on the latest Blood Red podcast. Thanks so much to Kaus for joining me. And thanks to you at home for listening and watching along as well. If you haven't already, make sure you go over to www.bloodredpodcast.co.uk to sign up for our Blood Red Club. That will mean extra additional bonus content that you can't get anywhere else will be in your inbox once a week. Until next time, though, it's goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.